Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and I hope you are well rested heading into your weekend because you decided to turn that Bears Panthers game off early. Get, get the extra shut eye, get the eight hours. Time change is still messing with you. You didn't stay up late to watch that. You let me take care of it for you. Week 10 looking loaded as we head towards Sunday. We've got five matchups between teams that are at or above 500 on Sunday. Big game between the Jags and the 49ers. We're going to break it all down. We've got Kenny Albert joining me to talk about Browns Ravens. Big game in the AFC North. Full schedule. We're going to get to the whole thing. But let's start it with that mess in Chicago. Let's just talk about it. We'll get it out of the way. Whatever you got planned for this weekend, I hope you're not going to take as many shots as Bryce Young did against the Chicago Bears. Or you, you know what? Maybe you are. Just please do it responsibly. Please do it safely. I hope you responsibly did not watch Bears-Panthers Thursday night football. I hope you are letting your friend Dave tell you about it for the first time as you head into your weekend on a Friday. The Bears hold off the Carolina Panthers 16-13. to 13. Please do not let the close scoreline fool you. This was every bit the ugly snooze fest that we expected when a one-win team and a two-win team get together on prime time in a standalone game. Where, where do you want to start? The Bears and Panthers combined for 508 yards of offense. Carolina in particular, a sad, sad night. Anytime, anytime a bad team is showcased in this way when there's nothing else on, it's extra depressing. The Panthers barely muster 200 yards of offense, 213 to be specific. 50 of those came on their last possession of the game when they eventually settled for a last gasp game tying field goal from 59 yards rather than subject Bryce young to the bears pass rush. One more time. They said, eh, we'd rather kick it from 60 outdoors in November in Chicago than make you go against this pass rush. One more time. There were 12 punts in the game. Worse than that, there were two punts in opposing territory and another six in the kind of gray area near midfield. A lot of punting from the 45, the 43. It says all you need to know about where these offenses are that the coaching staffs are saying, eh, 
hey, you know, we could pin these guys deep rather than ask you to complete a must-have pass on fourth down. No, thank you. Neither team averaged even five yards per attempt passing. Neither team averaged even four yards per attempt rushing. It's about as mind-numbing an experience as I've had watching the NFL so far this season. Having said all of that, I can help you find some optimism provided that you're a Bears fan. I will give the Bears some credit here. I actually thought they drew up a really nice game plan for Tyson Bajan. The rookie out of Shepard gets his fourth NFL start, improves to two and two on the year. Didn't have a big day running the ball, but I just thought it was smart by Luke Getze, Matt Eberflus, whoever had a hand in the game plan on Chicago's side of the ball. Getting Tyson Bajan on the move, moving the pocket, set him up for a lot of easy throws. Felt like he was rolling out to his right and hitting Cole Komet four to six yards downfield all night long. And hey, when you're just trying to do enough to help a rookie in his fourth game beat a bad team, clearly that's enough. Couple nice moments from him. He led a 70-yard field goal drive in the last minute before halftime. Maybe the most amazing thing of the night was that Matt Eberflus let him from inside his own 10-yard line try to drive the ball for points at the end of the half. I don't think anybody would have been surprised to see them kneel the ball and go to halftime. Good on you, Matt Eberflus, for for playing to win the game. Also, big throw by Tyson Bajan on the last third down of the game. If they don't get it, they've got to punt and give Bryce Young one more possession. Hits Darnell Mooney to put the game away. Not a good game. I'll say it one more time. It's about as bad a game as I've watched all year. But for the situation Tyson Bajan was put in, he's officially two and two as a starter. I'm not going to say the season's not lost, but they're at least in a decent situation with Justin Fields return looking imminent starting next week when they get off of this weekend off. Way more important than any of that. Like we said before the game, this was such a win-win situation for Chicago. They get the win. They get to have the good vibes and dance in the locker room and feel good about themselves heading into a weekend off. You imagine the vibes in Chicago if you lose to this Panthers team at during what has already been this season. So they get the win. The vibes are good. And like we keep saying, they own Carolina's first-round pick which would be the number one overall pick if the season ended right now. Obviously, it doesn't, but the Panthers are clearly going to be in the running for the number one overall pick. So starting next week, we, we, we're in the home stretch now where we get to see what Justin Fields has. It's widely expected he'll be back. How well is he going to play? What does that mean for his future in Chicago? What does the Panthers' status mean for what pick the Bears have? What picks, I should say. Not great football with the Bears, but it's going to create a lot of intrigue because of the quarterback situation, because of the draft implications. Not a bad situation for the Bears to be in, considering how bad this season has been already. Flip side, uh, I don't don't know what to say about the Panthers, man. It feels like every time I've watched Bryce Young this year, I can talk myself into seeing the flashes and I was high on him coming out of college. I like Bryce young, see a couple throws, see some anticipation. You see that maneuverability in the pocket. It's like just enough to make you feel encouraged. And then every time that happens about 10 things happen that remind you that this is just a disaster of a situation. Panthers O-line is a mess. Their receiving core is even worse. 
And unfortunately, Bryce Young's just not the uber talented type of guy that's going to overcome all of that by himself. He wasn't drafted number one overall because of his size, arm strength, speed. He's just a high IQ football guy with with above average maneuverability who can extend plays, who knows where to go with the ball. He's a quarterback that needs a lot of things around him right to be successful. And he just doesn't have that right now. I don't see it getting much better than what we saw for the Panthers this season. Maybe they can eke out another win. I hesitate to even put an S on that. And I just hope as somebody who likes Bryce Young's game, I hope this doesn't sink his prospects. Like it's, we can say patience all we want and we should be patient. We're not going to write off anybody's career halfway through their rookie year. But at some point you start to worry that getting hit and throwing interceptions and not having guys separate and not being able to make plays down the field starts to weigh on your psyche, especially when the guy drafted behind you, CJ Stroud is having the year of his life, offensive rookie of the year type stuff. Hopefully Bryce young can block out that noise I still think he can be successful, but you watch a game like this and I don't blame you. If you have your doubts, dark times for Panthers fans, slightly less dark times for bears fans. They head into the weekend sitting pretty in the draft order and having a win, not too bad. Although it was a really bad football game and I'm glad to not be talking about it anymore. Let's shift the focus from Thursday to Sunday. Plenty of big games in the NFL in week 10. None bigger, in my opinion, than the return trip of Browns Ravens. Two teams already played the first time earlier this season. They go to Baltimore now for the second meeting and each team looking fairly hot. The Ravens are four and one since beating that rookie led Browns team several weeks back. The Browns are three and one. They've got Sean Watson back from the shoulder injury. He didn't play in the first edition of this game. Who doesn't love an AFC North grudge match? The temperatures are going to be a little bit lower. It's going to feel more like fall. The hits are going to sound clearer coming through your TV. This is the stuff you love. The toughest division in football. All four teams would be in the playoffs right now. Ravens, though, clearly on top seven and two, tied for the best record in the AFC. Browns looking for an opportunity to assert themselves. We know the defense is dominant. We know both of these defenses are amazing. Easily one of the best games of the weekend, and I'm joined now by the guy who will be calling it. Kenny Albert will be in Baltimore with Jonathan Vilma to call all the action on Fox. Kenny, the joke we use in the media for for a shootout between great offenses is, oh, first to 30, 40 points wins. This feels more like a case where first team to 17 wins. Am I getting that right? Well, Dave, that might be the case. I know my partner, Jonathan Vilma, is really looking forward to a, a defensive battle between the Ravens and the Browns among the top defenses in the league. And when you look at what each team did last week, uh, holding their opponents on one hand to 151 yards, on the other hand to uh, under 100, it was quite uh, the impressive performance by both the Ravens' defense and the Browns defense. So I would not necessarily expect a high scoring game on Sunday. The first thing I like to do when I see a division matchup on the schedule is just, I mean, you know, they play twice a year. You go look at the last meeting. If there was one and see how it played out, you see, you know, what, 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 what the trends were, all that good type of stuff. But obviously 
pretty big outlier in the first game between the Browns and Ravens in the sense that Dorian Thompson Robinson starts for uh, Deshaun Watson. It was really his first big absence because of that shoulder injury. I'm curious from your perspective, when you prep for a game, uh, what what do you glean from, from a matchup like that? And kind of how do you weigh a game like that where, where the field was tilted pretty heavily toward one side? Well, you're right. It was a different matchup because Deshaun Watson uh, uh, was not available and, uh, the Ravens defense had a huge game with three interceptions and four sacks. And, you know, in talking to a couple of players so far this week, we haven't done all of our meetings with the coaches and players, but the ones we have spoken to at this point, uh, when I asked about the divisional matchup and the fact that all four teams in the division are above 500 and they all have terrific defenses, uh, the general answer from everybody we spoke to was, these are like playoff games. Um, and in particular, when Baltimore plays Cleveland, you have the added dimension uh, given that that the prior Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore uh, back in the mid-90s. So it's a rivalry that uh, has lived on through the years. And John Harbaugh, since taking over, uh, the Ravens have dominated uh, the Browns 25-6 and six, uh, during the Harbaugh era. But uh, they all love playing in these games. Uh, like I said, they, they feel like playoff games, no matter uh, which teams in this division get together. Not to put you on the spot too much, but I'm curious of the meetings that you've had of the, of the, of the interviews you've been able to do, is it, has it been more on the Baltimore or Cleveland side of this matchup so far? Well, we haven't talked to anybody from Baltimore yet. We'll go to their facility okay. tomorrow. Uh, we spoke to a couple of the Browns today and we'll finish up with their coaches on Saturday. Perfect. Cause that's, I, I was curious if you'd had a chance to talk to Cleveland. I'm curious Sean Watson, obviously, you know, he comes back from that injury against Arizona. The box score looks perfectly fine. Obviously, the Browns get a, a relatively routine win against the Cardinals. What have you heard about where Deshaun Watson is in that return, how he's feeling with the shoulder, and, and how much of an issue that's expected to be from here on out? Well, again, we're, we're pretty early in the preparation, so we'll talk to most of the Browns folks uh, over the next two days. We spoke to Miles Garrett today, but just from reading everything, you know, it sounds like uh, the shoulder held up pretty well last Sunday. And if you talk to Miles Garrett, heck of a season he's putting together, obviously. what What's what's your impression talking to him about the focus that I, that opponents are putting on him as the season goes forward and, and how he's dealing? Obviously, we've known he's a great player for a long time, but how he's dealing with other teams' efforts to uh, take him out of their game plans. Right. You know, I think through the years, whenever you do a Browns game, there's always so much focus on Garrett. He gets doubled and triple team. But you look at some of the other uh, folks on that D-line, Dalvin Tomlinson having a real good year. So they try to get Garrett in those one-on-one -on -one matchups, but uh, it's not that easy to do. But he's fired up. Uh, he always looks forward to these division games. He feels that Lamar Jackson is obviously one of the top players in the league this year and, and really one of the uh, great athletes over the last uh, generation. You know, when you look at what uh, he's done this season, certainly in the MVP conversation once again. I know you haven't had a chance to meet with anybody from Baltimore. We know all about Lamar Jackson. Obviously, John Harbaugh is one of the most successful, longest-tenured coaches in the NFL. But so much about this Ravens team feels new from a national perspective, whether it's some of the newcomers at receiver, whether it's this – 
I hate to call them a no-name defense, but it's a bunch of of new faces there that are having success. For you as a broadcaster, what what interests you most about this Ravens team and the hot start that they're off to? Well, we don't do as many AFC games on Fox as NFC, so it's always exciting to get uh, AFC teams, especially ones uh, you know with records like the Ravens and Browns have heading into the matchup this week. But you know, through the years, the Ravens are such a great organization. I learned so much about them during the eight years that I worked with Tony Saragusa, who was part of their terrific defenses in the late 90s and early 2000s. And there's been such stability. They've only had three head coaches, uh, Ted Marchabrota, Brian Billick, and now John Harbaugh, uh, for the last 15 years uh, since moving to Baltimore from Cleveland in 95. So it's an impressive organization. Uh, you know, maybe some of the names aren't as familiar. You look at a guy like Geno Stone. He's leading the league in interceptions with six. He has a pick in four straight games. Uh, he's having a terrific season for the Ravens. And, you know, you look at what they've done since they acquired Roquan Smith from the Bears last year. Uh, since that trade, uh, they've allowed the fewest points per game and the fewest yards per game. So there's a lot to dive into. Looking forward to getting to the Ravens facility tomorrow. And, uh, you know, like I said, Jonathan Dillon was a defensive guy. He was a top linebacker in the league. And I know he's looking forward to uh, seeing this Ravens defense and the Browns defense uh, in person on Sunday. One last one for you. Last time you came on the pod, uh, we were talking about your book, A Mike for All Seasons. Congratulations on that. I I, I will admit, I, I knew all about your relationship with, with the late great Tony Siragusa, like you just mentioned. But what I didn't know was that you actually started your broadcasting career in Baltimore. Uh, so I would be curious. I, I'm sure this is an exciting opportunity for you to get back to kind of, to go back to where it all kind of started and just what your memories are and maybe what stands out to you about that time. Well, I do always love getting back to Baltimore, Dave. I lived there for two years, 1990 through 92. I was the radio play-by-play broadcaster for a minor league hockey team, the Baltimore Skipjacks. And it was such a fun time uh, getting the reps, doing 80 games a year, working in the team office, handling some PR and sales and marketing and really whatever they needed. But uh, back then, Camden Yards was was literally built during the time I lived in Baltimore. So I watched that stadium go up and the Orioles had some great teams led by Cal Ripken in the 90s. Uh, the Ravens weren't there yet, but it's a, it's a great sports area. You have all the Washington teams 45 minutes down the road. So uh, looking forward to getting back this weekend, heading to my some of my favorite restaurants from 30 years ago. So should be a lot of fun. The, such an underrated time. If if you work in this industry, the, uh, you know, the, the weekend before the game, getting to, you know, whatever restaurant suits your fancy or whatever you like about the city you're in, always a fun time. I hope you enjoy the trip back and uh, looking forward to a great one on Sunday. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Let's continue the week 10 preview by heading down South to Duval. The Jacksonville Jaguars welcoming the San Francisco 49ers in for a great cross conference matchup. The headline for me is this. I think this is the matchup with the most even stakes on each side of the game. What I mean by that, both of these teams have a lot to gain from a win. I don't think that's the case everywhere in the NFL this weekend. Even Baltimore, Cleveland, I don't know that it's even sided because I don't think our perception of the Ravens is going to change drastically, even if they lose based on everything they've done. You go over to the Houston-Cincinnati game. Do I think we're going to think substantially different of the Bengals if they beat Houston? Not really. Yes, Houston could make a huge statement by beating the Bengals, but I think the Bengals are supposed to beat Houston even as good as C.J. Stroud has been this season. So a lot here 
on each side. Stakes equally big on each side of the game. It's the Jags riding a five-game win streak, leading the AFC South, albeit it's been about a month since they've had a huge statement game. They beat the Bills in London in week five. But I would argue most people don't see the Jags as a true member of the NFL's elite. Not me. I've, I've got them in the top five of my power rankings. I'm big on the Jacksonville Jags, but I don't think the league at large, at least from a fan and media perspective, views the Jags as in that class among the teams that could truly contend this year. It would be an awfully big announcement of their place in the hierarchy if they can knock off the 49ers. Even a Niners team that's on a three-game losing streak, it would mean something for the Jags to beat a team that's in this class flip side. Like I just said, the Niners are on a three game losing streak. They go into their bye week The defense has completely fallen apart to the point that the big headline coming out of the Bay area this week is that defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes is going to move down to the field after being on the booth or being in the booth for the first two months of the season. That's how bad the defense has been. Anytime the coordinator has to flip spots, I'm not convinced what good it does. But when you have to change where you are for the game, something's going wrong. The other coordinator that's made headlines for doing this is Matt Canada, the OC in Pittsburgh. And buddy, that guy is beleaguered. Steve Wilkes, good coach. I don't, you don't ever want to be in a conversation with Matt Canada when it comes to where are we putting you for the game? How good are you doing? How good of a job are you doing? So we'll see where it goes with this Niners defense. Offense has been fine, not awesome. Looks like Debo Samuel's coming back for this game. Trent Williams is more of a maybe, but there's a chance he plays. The 49ers come off of their bye week and they beat a division leader. Everybody's going to forget that they were ever worried. Some of us still aren't, by the way. I, I'm, I refuse to worry about the Niners. They could lose this game and I still wouldn't be worried. But if they beat Jacksonville, if they knock off a team that's been on a five-game win streak that's leading the AFC South, everybody's going to be singing their praises all over again, just like we did in September. That's why the stakes are so big on each side of the ball. Now, in terms of actual football, not just narrative, but the on-field storylines, for me, this is a shockingly stoppable force going against a shockingly movable object. It's not particularly surprising that the 49ers offense has been good when you consider the names involved, all the pro bowlers, all the all pros. Like I said, even without Trent Williams and Debo Samuel, they've been perfectly fine. Maybe not elite, but perfectly solid, even with some big injuries. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And while it's impressive, the Jags have played very, very well on defense. I want to make sure to give them their credit. They're fantastic against the run. They lead the league in takeaways, which is a big part of why they're successful. But the other side of this matchup is the weird one for me because I went into the season thinking Jacksonville was going to be lighting up scoreboards all season long. Trevor Lawrence was a guy that got a lot of MVP love and rightfully so for the way he finished last season. But Jacksonville's offense is fine. They're 10th in scoring. That's not bad. But 
with Trevor Lawrence, with Travis Etienne, with Calvin Ridley, with Al- Evan Ingram, all the rest of the guys on that offense, the expectations were a little bit higher than fine. And the thing that really highlights that when you watch Jacksonville is their conversion rates. They are one of the worst teams in the league at converting in big moments, however you want to spell it out. Third down, converting 35.5% of the time, 25th in the league, bad. Scoring red zone touchdowns, 47.6% of the time, 26th in the league, bad. Scoring in the red zone, period. They're only getting points in the red zone 71% of the time which is 31st in the NFL. They just aren't converting as much as you would not. Would you prefer as much as they need to, to be as successful as they want to be. Conversely, San Francisco's offense, fourth, fifth, 11th in all the same categories. Say what you will about Brock Purdy. He's been pretty good about pulling the right lever in those situations. That feels like a big trigger point for me is who gets the better of the conversion situations obviously third downs, but the three to five times you get into the red zone, one team, very good at it. One team, pretty bad at it. Fortunately for the Jaguars, the other weird thing about this matchup, the Niners are sitting in the middle of the weirdest defensive dip in the league right now. You look at a team like Buffalo, we know why their defense has dropped off. We they're missing a ton of starters, a ton of really good players. And while every team is dealing with injury, I know, Linebacker Dre Greenlaw has been out of San Francisco's lineup at times this season. For the most part, the defense has largely been healthy. But they were third in EPA per drop back, drop back against opposing quarterbacks from week one to week five. Since then, they've fallen to 24th. They're currently 15th in defensive DVOA after sitting sitting on top of all of the metrics through the first four or five weeks of the season. Remember how absolutely dominant they were against the Dallas Cowboys in week five. That feels like a thing of the past. They're 23rd in red zone defense. They're allowing their opponents to score touchdowns 61% of the time that they get down there, which again, for such a fast, physical, talented defense, it's just not what you would expect. It makes all the sense in the world that a team with this much cap space would go and trade for, uh, for Chase Young right at the trade deadline, right before their bye week. I think their pass rush has been more successful than it gets credit for. But when you consider the salary, when you consider the names on that front, not good enough when that clearly needs to be the engine for their defense. I think 49ers pass rush was always going to make up for some deficiencies on the back end. Hasn't been the case this year. Enter Chase Young. Why not just add a strength to a strength? That's something to watch. But just a weird storyline where the Jacksonville offense has neither been as good as I thought it would be. Very much the same can be said for the 49ers, at least over the last four or five weeks. So who turns it around the best, I guess, in this matchup? couple injuries to keep in mind. Debo Samuel, like I said, he's going to be back. Not sure on Trent Williams. That is something to watch. If Trent Williams can play, I think that changes everything. We've seen that to this point in the season, how much it means to have the best left tackle in football out there. I mentioned Dre Greenlaw. He's been a full participant participant at practice for the Niners as well. So again, sounds like the defense is going to be at full strength for San Francisco. No excuses if they struggle against a Jacksonville offense that's been pretty herky-jerky this season. 
On the Jacksonville side of things, a couple things to watch in the secondary. Tyson Campbell, limited this week, cornerback, young cornerback they drafted a couple years ago, as well as safety Andre Sisco, who's out to a really nice start this season. Keep an eye on both of those guys. Could be trouble, especially with Debo Samuel back. You want as many DBs on deck as possible. One more matchup I want to keep an eye on for this is whether Christian McCaffrey can get his season back on track against a wonderful Jacksonville run defense. I say back on track. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey is still having a hell of a season, but the the drop in production over the last month or so of the season is significant, as has been the case with a lot of things with the 49ers. CMC averaging just 3.5 yards per carry over the last month. If you don't think that's a big difference, he was averaging 5.6 yards per carry over the first four or five weeks of the season. So a full two yards of difference. I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of that happened during the two games that Trent Williams missed. If he comes back, you like your chances, but do not write off the Jacksonville run defense. It's one of the best things about this team so far this season. Not a ton of luck getting the quarterback on the ground. Josh Allen, their edge rusher, off to a really great start. But in terms of the overall pass rush, probably not the production that they want, but they will keep you from running the ball. Sixth in rush EPA in the league, third in overall DVOA defensively, third in rushing yards per game allowed. Not very many teams have had a whole lot of success against them. I think if the Jags are going to have success getting after Brock Purdy, potentially at least hitting him, if not sacking him, it's going to be about how well they slow down the San Francisco run game. It's been doable. We've seen it over the last, you know, over these two, three games that the 49ers have been losing. Can the 49ers get back on track? Will Trent Williams be there to help them do it? I think that will go a long way in determining the winner. I'll be honest. I, I don't know what to do here. I'm stealing this line from my friend, Greg Rosenthal. I heard him say this earlier this week. It feels disrespectful to the Jags that the 49ers are road favorites in Jacksonville. I think the Jaguars are a good team. I think they're going to win the AFC South. I think they're somebody you have to be ready for for the postseason. I don't love that they're home dogs against a 49er team that is at least was heading into the bye week in a little bit of a crisis, but the Niners are just one of those teams, much like the Kansas City Chiefs, that you just innately trust to figure it out. Debo Samuel's back potentially Trent Williams as well. We'll see about that. But even just the presence of Debo giving Brock Purdy another weapon on the offense to take the pressure off with. I don't love it because I am a longtime Jags backer, but yeah, I, I lean toward the 49ers. Hopefully the game is as good as my conflict would make it seem. I love you, Jacksonville, but I do just, I trust the 49ers on a level that I don't quite trust anyone else yet. We'll see how it goes. Elsewhere in the early window on Sunday, we've got the New Orleans Saints heading up to Minneapolis to take on the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm sorry to my beloved Saints and their fans. The, the headline here is that you have run into the narrative buzzsaw this week. On paper, in, in the box score, in the preview section, the Saints are three-point road favorites, which does matter. But I can't help but feel like they are the biggest underdogs emotionally in the NFL this week. The Minnesota Vikings are, they are America's team of the week, at least for the time being everybody who's not a saints fan, everybody, but 
the state of Louisiana and the outlying Houdats is going to be rooting for Josh Dobbs after what he did to Atlanta last week. That's just the way it works. When a guy gets traded midseason, has five days to learn the offense, injury forces him onto onto the field, and he leads his team from behind to beat a a, a, a home favorite in that crazy, entertaining game against the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints are the villains through no wrongdoing of their own. That's just how it goes. Outside of that feel-good element, though, the stakes feel a lot higher for the Saints than the Vikings. It's a cool story, what's happening with Dobbs. I'm rooting for his success across the season. But the Vikings, the way they started the season, the fact that they don't have Kirk Cousins, the fact that the Detroit Lions are seemingly in control of that division, it almost feels like they're playing with house money. Maybe we'll make a run at a wild card spot. Maybe we won't. Does it really matter? We kind of got a raw hand of cards this season. The Saints, the stakes feel appreciably higher. This is for better or for worse, for the most part, the team that they wanted coming into the season. And they are actually enjoying a little bit of a run, at least the most success that they've enjoyed since week three. They started the season two and oh. It's just been an up and down roller coaster of meh ever since. But they are on a two-game winning streak. I maintain the win against Chicago was one of the more less inspiring efforts I've seen this season, but they are on top of the NFC South. They have a chance to win that division with the quarterback, Derek Carr, that they gave a boatload of money to host a playoff game. And in this season, maybe more than any other in recent memory, how can you write that off? How can you say it doesn't matter? So the stakes feel high for the saints I can't sit here and tell you like, oh, they, they should win this game because we just saw what Josh Dobbs did to a division leader from the NFC South a week ago. But this is a big opportunity for the Saints to get multiple games above 500. And even if they don't control the division, they are at least in a good spot heading into the second half of the year. Having just made fun of the Bears game, I can see the improvement a little bit from New Orleans over the last couple of weeks, mainly in the sense that Derek Carr has only been sacked twice in the last three games. If you watched the Saints in the first month of the season, you know how significant that is. He was getting drilled. The run game, really nice outing against Indianapolis a couple weeks ago, but for the most part, it still remains a big-time work in progress. Those things need to hold up because this is this is a hell of a matchup for both of those things. It's a great time to test yourself, A, against the league sack leader and Daniil Hunter, but also the NFL's most aggressive defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, is just throwing the kitchen sink at everybody he plays. I have a feeling between the Saints' up-and-down results running the ball and the Saints' struggles to protect their quarterback, Brian Flores is going to be sending guys at Derek Carr. I'll bet you a fiver right now. Matchup to watch, that's, that's what it is for me. They both center around the quarterback for the Saints. It's the issue of keeping Derek Carr upright. How do you handle the pressure? How do you handle guy blitzers, guys getting in the quarterback's face, hitting Derek Carr? I could imagine this is a situation where the Saints just can't quite connect with their receivers downfield because that's been an issue for them for most of the year. For the Vikings, this isn't so much about protecting Josh Dobbs as it is taking advantage of a very favorable situation. Shout out to my dear friend Luke Johnson for this stat. New Orleans Times-Picayune. Remember, support local journalism, support newspapers, people. 
Thanks to Luke, I now know the Saints have allowed 243 rushing yards to quarterbacks this season. It's the third most in the NFL. Five of the nine opposing quarterbacks that have played the Saints have gone for at least 30 yards, if not more, against them. I can hear what you're saying. 30 yards isn't all that much. It absolutely is coming from a quarterback. In a game where 30 yards could be two, three, four extra first downs, extending multiple scoring drives, that stuff adds up. They gave up a 59-yard night to Trevor Lawrence a few weeks ago. Tyson Bajan, in a losing effort, had 70 yards just a week ago. And now enter Josh Dobbs. 324 rushing yards this season. That's second most among quarterbacks. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is first. But Josh Dobbs has more rushing yards this year than Jalen Hurts. He's rushed for a touchdown in three straight games, dating back to when he was starting for Arizona. If you watched the Vikings win against Atlanta last week, his 66 rushing yards were instrumental. He had a rushing touchdown. He had the crazy fourth down scramble that kept the game-winning drive alive. That's the type of stuff you got to worry about if you're the Saints. Josh Dobbs has rushed for at least 40 yards in six of his nine games going against the defense that has struggled with that all season long. If the Saints can keep Josh Dobbs in the pocket and just force him to play a more traditional offense, I like their odds. Problem is, a lot of teams have been bad at doing that. Again, six of nine games with at least 40 yards. The Cardinals' big win against the Dallas Cowboys was helped in large part to 55 rushing yards from Josh Dobbs. So how well the Saints contain him could go a long way to determining who gets this win in Minneapolis. Fortunately for us, this is a game where we don't really have to worry about the injury aspect of it that much. Knock on some wood, but it seems like both teams are going to have all their primary playmakers available. Minnesota still waiting on Justin Jefferson. He returned to practice, but he's not going to play in this game. But Christian Darisaw, the star left tackle, TJ Hawkinson, the tight end, looking like they're going to play. The Saints are going to have Demario Davis. Not a whole lot on the Saints injury front. So two teams at full health, two teams Vikings surprisingly in the playoff picture saints, not so surprisingly, but like I said, a chance to really assert themselves at the top of the division, the records maybe aren't impressive, but I can't wait to see this one. I can't wait to see what Josh Dobbs has for an encore and whether Dennis Allen and the saints can do anything to slow that story up. Moving into the late window. We've got the Dallas Cowboys beginning of a down stretch on their schedule, hosting a New York giants team that they have already beaten 40 to nothing. And the Giants are somehow worse with Tommy DeVito expected to start. Remember Daniel Jones and even Terod Taylor, both on injured reserve for New York. I could do it. I could come up with an amazing preview about why this is scintillating and interesting and any given Sunday. And I mean, that is true. It's a divisional matchup. I just... I can't bring myself to do it. The Cowboys are a 16 and a half point favorite. They're playing at home where they have won 11 straight games by an average margin of 17 points. And here's what I will give you stat of the day. Since 1996, there have been 98 regular season NFL games with a spread of 15 points or more. Predictably, the underdogs are three and 95 in those matchups. Nice little 3% success rate. But what is interesting, the three wins have all come since 2018. They are all very, very recent game games. So strictly speaking, there is always a chance. Can never rule anything out. But I 
I personally just don't buy it. Not for as beleaguered as this Giants offensive line is, even with Andrew Thomas getting healthy again, it's been rough for them all year. It was rough for them against this Dallas pass rush when everybody was healthy at the start of the season. And this New York defense, middle of the pack, not a bad defense at all, but taken care of pretty handily by the Cowboys at the start of the season. And Dak Prescott and the Dallas offense has just been incredibly successful against New York throughout his entire career. Giants still looking for their first win against Dak Prescott since he was a rookie all the way back in 2016. My big focus here is really just the onus that is on the Cowboys over the next three or four weeks. They had two big tests in the first half of the season. They failed them both, obviously came much closer against Philadelphia last week than they did against San Francisco, but 0-2 is 0-2. It is what it is they don't get another chance for a big time matchup against the playoff team until the end of the month. They've got Seattle on November 30th. They've got Philadelphia right after that in a rematch that I know we're all already excited about. The thing for Dallas is if you're going to have any chance, whatever's left of the division race, and it isn't over yet, just in the sense that the schedule does get hard for Philadelphia. They've got to play the Chiefs. They've got the Bills. They've got the 49ers. There's some tough games coming up on Philly's schedule. If Dallas is going to have any chance of any of that mattering, they've got to go 3-0 and between right now and the Thanksgiving holiday. They go New York, Carolina, Washington on Thanksgiving all in a row. I'm not trying to write off the commanders. I am. I'm, I'm writing off the giants and the Panthers. If this age is poorly, so be it. I can live with that. But even the commanders team that's hovering around 500, they've got to find a way to take care of these three teams that they have clearly played better than to start this season. It would be even more fun if they could pick up a win against Seattle in a, in three weeks and head into that Philly game at nine and three. We are getting ahead of ourselves though. We don't have to plan out the entire month of November, but they're 16 and a half point favorites at home. They already should know how it feels to be humbled by overlooking an opponent. They were heavily favored against Arizona on the road, got completely embarrassed. They didn't just lose to a Cardinals team that hasn't won since they lost by double digits. Shouldn't have to dig for motivation to not let that happen. In addition to just the blunt truth that they're a better team. So yes, anything's possible in the NFL, but yes, the spread is very, very large for a big reason. Cowboys are playing at home where, as I said, they've been phenomenal under Mike McCarthy. I expect them to take care of business. And if they want to be a meaningful part of the NFC's division race and maybe even the race for high playoff seating and not just settling for a wild card spot, they need to take care of business, not just now, but over the next three, four weeks before they see the Eagles again. It starts Sunday against New York. That does it for our featured matchups of the week, but don't you worry. There's plenty more week 10 to get to. Got a full slate for Sunday. We are going to take you through the other nine matchups we haven't mentioned as of yet. You know the drill. We call this the hurry up offense. My lovely, wonderful, competent producers are going to give me three and a half minutes, and I'm going to get you through the rest of the games that we haven't talked about yet. I see the clock. I think we're ready to go. We'll start it in Europe, another Germany game, the Colts and the Patriots playing in Frankfurt. I'm starting right now. And look, I'm sorry if this makes me a bad fan or a bad journalist, but I'm not waking up for, for the kickoff of this game. Starts at 6.30 on the West Coast, 4 and 5 versus 2 and 7. No thank you. I'll check in on the second half. 
I do think the Colts will win. I think they're a much more complete team than the Patriots Packers and Steelers. These are honestly shockingly similar teams. In my opinion, young quarterbacks, a lot of youth on offense, more veteran defenses. Ultimately I'll take Pittsburgh's front at home. Green Bay's offensive line has been a problem spot this season. Give me the Steelers at home. Texans at Bengals big game. Don't get me wrong. Don't want to relegate it too much because this one deserves some time. Jamar chase dealing with a sore back and the early reports already suggest that T Higgins is going to miss this game with a hamstring injury. Those are math changing problems for the Bengals. They've been on such a roll. Joe Burrow looks so great, but if one or God forbid, both of those guys can't go, it changes the complexion of what they like to do on offense completely. But for me, the real storyline here, CJ Stroud against Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator and his defense. We've talked about the job that Lou Anarumo has done on this show. Last three games for the Bengals, Seattle, uh, San Francisco, Buffalo, that's three playoff teams. He's held all of them below 20 points. Not that CJ Stroud has anything else to prove, but this would be a real feather in his cap. This is a defense that is so good at limiting what an offense likes to do. If CJ can keep doing his thing against the Bengals, I'm already giving the guy rookie of the year, but that is another level of accomplishment entirely. Titans at Buccaneers. Speaking of CJ Stroud, I would like to say the Bucs have a big one up in this matchup. Todd Bowles game planning against a rookie quarterback. All due respect to Todd Bowles, though, he just got hit by for 500 yards by a rookie in CJ Stroud last week. So I don't know what to make of that. This, this is a line in the sand game for me. I've been defending the bucks all year. I think they're a pretty good team despite their four game losing streak. If they can't beat Will Levis in his third start, a so, so Titans team with a rookie quarterback, if they can't do it at home, I'm giving up on the bucks lions at chargers. What a fun fever dream of a season. Just remember the lions are favored on the road against a 500 team with a star quarterback. That's not supposed to happen to the Lions. Good for them. I, I've got them taking care of business. Their offensive line can neutralize Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. They're only allowing 21 points per game on defense, even with the blowout loss to Baltimore. I think the Lions are a better team. I think they will win. Falcons at Cardinals. All I can say is if I'm a Falcons fan, I'm worried. They, they just lost to a guy that didn't know the playbook, and now it's Kyler Murray. Falcons are used to playing in close games. I'm guessing this one's going to be stressful too. Six one score games for Atlanta, two walk-off wins. I think it's going to be wild. I can't wait to see what Kyler Murray does. Commanders at Seahawks, Sam Howell, last two weeks, 722 yards, five touchdowns, only sacked four times. It's the best two week stretch of his career. I do think Seattle secondary is going to have something to say about that. I think the Seattle secondary top 10 coverage unit in the NFL. I like their odds. Jets at Raiders. Big thanks to the NFL for leaving this in the primetime window. Jags, Niners, Browns, Ravens. No, awesome decision. Why would we want to watch that when we can watch this? I can't bring myself to pick a rookie against the Jets defense. Even if Zach Wilson going against Max Crosby is not much better. Oh, I, I got hit by the buzzer. That's okay. I think the Jets will win. I'm, I can't pick a rookie against the Jets defense, but really what I know is that we're all losers here. Wrapping it up Monday night, Broncos at Bills, very, very quietly. The Broncos defense has improved from dead last to middle of the pack. Not so quietly. The Bills have plummeted from the top of the league on defense to the bottom. Just too many injuries to sustain. I like the Bills to win. The spread is seven and a half points. I absolutely like the Denver Broncos to cover that spread. Way better game than you might think on paper, at least in my opinion. I went way over this week. That's okay. We, we had nine games to get to. We, we, we were thorough this week. That's all that means. 
Looking forward to a fun weekend. It starts Sunday morning. Remember, if you're going to get up early and watch the Frankfurt game, more power to you. We'll see how it goes. Regardless, we will be back here Monday to recap all of the zaniness. A week ago, we had no idea Josh Dobbs was even going to play, let alone beat the Atlanta Falcons. Can't wait to see what unpredictability comes out of week 10. We will be here to talk through it all as well as get ready for that Broncos bills game. Please go find us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts. We will be there. We appreciate it so much. I hope y'all have a great weekend. I will catch y'all on the other side. Thank you.